yesterday night we stopped with the mantra and it's only natural and logical that we go into the mantra of transformation shurbindo writes in one of his letters that the word has power even the ordinary word has power even when we speak the vibrations we let forth it has a certain power and within its range and limitations it has the capacity to do good or the capacity to do harm to the recipient how much more power there would be when a revelation is poured down in a body of words thought word sounds they are vehicles like everything else what is more important is what the vehicle contains what charges it what informs it what fills it what carries it to its mark shubindo says that just as everything has its own absoluteness somewhere there is an absolute of speech what is the highest intensity that speech can achieve arrive at that highest intensity of speech of rhythm of sound of substance of truth of consciousness of ananda that is the mantra and it carry carries the godhead within it so that plane of consciousness far above the human mind from where the mantra descends it brings the godhead of that plane close to us in a body of sound and words and rhythms that is the power of the mantra it reveals what is hidden to our sight not only that the mother says it has a power to transform that's why it's a mantra of transformation savitri is a mantra of course every writing of shirbindo is a mantra because uh, it's not a writing by the mod- normal analytical human thought it is a writing which has descended straight from the higher consciousness straight to the typewriter or to the pen that is how shubindo used to write all the writings in the arya are written in a silent consciousness transmitted from above and all that shubindo had to do was to sit on the typewriter or with the pen in hand and it would just get written so in a sense everything is a mantra but shirbindo himself regarded savitri as one of his most important works and along with some of his writings in the bulletin in 1949 which are now published under the supramental manifestation and other writings savitri is the work on which he has worked right up to the end so the whole effort was to bring down <coughs> not just the higher consciousness but higher than the higher the very highest that is accessible to human speech that can be clothed in a human language in words and sounds which we can hear and understand in a certain sense savitri cannot be understood except 
by beings of a new consciousness. This is what mother has said. My child will have to wait for a hundred years before we can understand. Because only beings with a new consciousness can understand Savitri. The reason is very simple. Shobindo says Savitri, much of Savitri is a seeing of another kind. It is seeing of a kind which is not accessible to us normally. Our seeing is very limited in narrow range of vision and experience. It moves within that. Savitri is another kind of seeing, a cosmic seeing, if one may put it like that. We had in the morning, I had in the morning during breakfast, one of the child, is he here, who asked me, what is, you guys keep talking about cosmic. What is cosmic? Where is the child? I would love to see him. It's a very, very... Yes, wonderful. What's your name? As Jitendra. Wonderful. I, I was really deeply moved that here is a child who is asking something really, really far to above and beyond. We are so much logged in the smallness of a life, and he has hit just the right word because Savitri can be approached from many, many angles of human vision. And yet, if there is the most valid ground to approach Savitri, it's a cosmic sense. It is a cosmic poem. It raises a cosmic question. And it's not just about, you know, the daily problems. Of course, all our problems eventually resolve themselves into a cosmic problem. We do the way we do. We think the way we think. We feel the way we feel. We act the way we act because such is the very texture of the cosmos in which we live. And that cosmos extends into us, seeps into our bones, our blood is engraved as an imprint in the cells. Therefore, we cannot help but being what we are. So what we are is not just an individual problem, it's a cosmic problem. And if we really want to change ourselves, we have to refer everything back to that origin. And this is the question that Savitri raises. To enter straight into the issue. What is the question that it sets about to resolve? The cosmic problem is voiced in the Queen's dialogue with Narada. The context is that Narada comes and I, I presume that we are familiar with the story of Savitri and Satyavan and the background of the poem because most of us are here for many years. So I don't want to you know, cut out on the limited time going back into the details of the story. But even if we don't know the story, it doesn't matter because it's my story, your story, everybody's story. It's the story of creation. But the difference is, it's the story of creation seen from a transcendent side, seen from the other side. How does God see creation and how does he write the story? And what is his script within us, within the cosmos, how it will unfold? All this is there in Savitri. But first the cosmic problem voiced by Queen. Queen is Savitri's mother. And the context is that 
Savitri has gone out and chosen, as was the custom those days in India, that women went out and chose the husband. And they, she chooses someone, and uh, she is told by Narada, happens to come into the palace when she has returned back and says, I have made a choice, and the choice is Satyavan. Narada cast his glance into who Satyavan is. He is, after all, among the one of those who have risen from the human plane into the plane of the seer. He is one of the immortals. So he says he is a wonderful gem and a jewel upon earth. But there is only one problem. Everything else is wonderful. The one problem is that this day returning Satyavan must die. One year, this finest flower on earth, it cannot bloom for long. And it will wither off fade or return back into its parent garden. So the queen naturally, she's a mother, she tells Savitri, go back, choose someone else. Okay, fine, enough is enough. Find some better person, more stable, settled in life, long life, healthy. Savitri refuses. She says, once my heart has chosen, it chosen, it chooses not again. If this one year, this is all my life. And then she says, I know yet that this is not enough. I carry in me a force that will wrestle with this fate. Now this is, you know, stubbornness. And only stubborn people are capable of turning to God. Because, because they can carry right through the end. Mother has said, only stubborn people can persevere. Stubbornness is a great quality, only it must turn in the right direction. So Savitri stubborn. If this one year, this is all my life. Now, who can say that sentence only somebody who is, you know, somewhere is inst instinctively aware of the divinity inside. So now the queen raises the question to Narada that, look, this is, you would keep talking about God, keep chanting names of him and keep singing his glory. This is the fate. Even when my daughter knows that this is dangerous, she is still going to do it. So this is a cosmic question raised in the form of the queen's query with regard to her daughter. Yet the question is relevant to all of us and for all times. And that is why we see Savitri is relevant to all of us. It's a long passage. I'll just read some portions. The queen. All walks enarmed by its own opposites. Error is the comrade of a mortal thought and falsehood lurks in the deep bosom of truth. Virtue is a grey bondage and a jail. At every step is laid for us a snare. We heard about the invisible forces. We don't see them. We don't know that the next step we are going to take may affranchise all. We may lose everything that we have gained the next moment. Why? Because invisible forces has woven around us a snare. Alien to reason and the spirit's light, our fount of action from a darkness wells. In ignorance and nescience are our roots. This is the problem. How much ever we strive, we cannot go beyond a certain point. That's why it's such a big effort, uh, you know, to do yoga and to really meditate and 
even to try to get some glimpse past that iron wall. Simply because that's how the, the cosmos works and that's how we have our roots. A growing register of calamities is the past's account, the future's book of fate. I think someone was asking this question yesterday. What's going to hap- happen and you know, we see the past, a register of calamities. The centuries pile man's follies and man's crimes. As if the world's stone load was not enough, a crop of miseries obstinately sown by his own hand in the furrows of the gods, the vast increasing tragic harvest reaped from old misdeeds buried by oblivious time. He walks by his own choice into hell's trap. This Mortal creature is his own worst foe. This doesn't need any explanation. This is so, so true. And anyone who has gone through life knows what it means. That how often, if we look back at life, it becomes a series. In the beginning, life is a series of I wish, I wish, I wish. I wish I would have this. I wish I would have that. I wish I could do this. I wish I could do that. In the end, it is again, I wish, I wish, I wish. I wish I had not done this. I wish I had not done that. I wish I had not acted this way. I did it of my own choice. Nobody told me. This mortal creature is his own worst foe. By his own choice, he walks into hell's trap. He knows, don't go this way. But he will go. In fact, if you tell him, don't go, he is even more keen to go. So this is our tragedy. Nothing has he learnt from time and its history. His science is an artificer of doom. He ransacks earth for means to harm his kind. He slays his happiness and others good. This is exactly what we were sharing. Battle and rapine, ruin and massacre are still the fierce pastimes of man's warring tribe. So all this he describes and then she raises this question which all of us raise when we look at the grim side of life. Life has a delightful side. Should be that one place describes it as this dangerous, charming, delightful world. It is dangerous on one side. There is a side of earth which is dangerous. This side of earth which is delightful. And all of us, because of this delightful sight, would never leave it. And all of us, because of this dangerous sight, try to shrink from it. And yet, if we want to know the integral truth, we have to have the capacity to gaze into the dangerous sight. Shravindu says that in essays on the Gita, that he who cannot see, who is not willing to see, who closes his eyes on this side of the world, which is terrific to our senses, and discards it, saying this is something satanic, dark. He is not yet fit for the integral vision. One has to see Krishna, not only as someone dancing on the play fields of Vrindavan by the side of Yamuna, but also Krishna, the terrible, who has arisen to slay all the creatures, those who are his friends and those who are his foes, and declare with that leonine voice, 
लोक शैक्रत प्रबद्ध हो आई हैव रीजन टू स्ले ऑल दीज क्रीचर्स दीज आर टू साइड्स ऑफ वन रियालिटी सो नेचुरली क्वीन डजेंट वॉन्ट टू सी दिस अदर साइड सो सी सेज ऑल इज एन एपिसोड इन ए मीनिंग लेस टेल वाई इज इट ऑल एंड वेयर फॉर आर वी हियर सो क्वाइट नेचुरली लुकिंग एट ऑल दिस वन कैनॉट मेक सेंस ऑफ लाइज एंड सेज वेल ऑल लाइफ इज जस्ट ए मीनिंग लेस टेल and then this other question because very often people say that no no you we have to pass through this pain so that we can eventually worship god and go into nirvana it is a propulsion into nirvana now this is one of the most absurd doctrines ever given to man highly insensitive it speaks very badly of the creator who would give pain to his children so that they may worship him even a most ordinary human being would not do this and to use pain and suffering as a means to put him back into that nirvanic state and if that was the case what need we had to come upon earth at all and this is the question savitri asked because he has read all the philosophies and attended many of the you know sessions so she says if to some being of eternal bliss it is our spirit's destiny to return or some still impersonal height of endless calm since that we are and out of that we came whence rose the strange and sterile interlude lasting in vain through interminable time this is a question we need to raise to all the mayavadin philosophies and many schools this is maya eventually you know we are destined for god we are that then what is this well don't worry about this don't raise this tricky question this is nonsense we have to return back there so the question is why did we come at all into this mess who sent us here why did the divine compel if we may use the word or why did our souls choose to plunge into this to go through all this suffering and misery only someone with a very perverse consciousness would like to go through suffering and misery by his own choice to once again go back and value that in which one naturally is so this is the first question series is or if these we beings must be and their brief lives what need had the soul of ignorance and tears whence rose the call for sorrow and for pain so then the next answer which is given to us in tradition is well um that's not a relevant question maya came when you reach there you will understand somehow by this maya we fell into this and we are now trapped into it so maya has somehow come and like a veil deluded brahman himself that he is now here struggling to even recover what he is so the queen asks what need has the soul of ignorance and tears or all came helplessly without a cause what power forced the immortal spirit to birth so these are other that universe has come without a cause a meaning and a purpose the only thing available to man is to go back and be into moksha don't ask why it came it came somehow it came something went wrong probably maybe god was sleeping and suddenly during that sleep somebody came and stole away the little babies who were sleeping by his side as happens sometimes in hospitals and 
took those babies into some dark cave and when god woke up he saw oh my god my little children have disappeared so now he is searching in the darkness one by one telling them look look i am sorry this happened don't ask me nutty questions like dad why did you let it happen i can take you back so she saying what need who persuaded it to fall from bliss and forfeit its immortal privilege why should god punish and force us to fall into this condition and after that who laid on it the ceaseless will to live a wanderer in this beautiful sorrowful world so not only as if this is not enough along with that there is a will to live if okay if we are here somehow this accident took place the divine would awaken in us a will to just go away if nirvana is the goal everybody should have this as a natural will when one place shrobinda says that well nirvana as an individual goal can be there the soul has a choice to escape from creation if it so wills but this is not the general will in the cosmos even people who talk about nirvana there are swamis who go all over the world talking about maya and moksha but they are very much attached to life and god knows whom they are going to tell about moksha and maya shrobinda writes in one of his aphorism god laughed thrice at shankara one when he wrote the commentary on the isha upanishad the second when he went around the world teaching that jagan mithya brahma satya so if really world is maya then where are you going and to whom you are teaching you just need to wake up yourself and that's the end of the story there is no need to tell others that it is maya and give them put them into a great conflict now they are caught between the world and maya and it's very difficult to choose between the two so or if no being watches the works of time this too is a theory that um, of course we know that there are buddhist doctrines like that that there is no being there is nothing it's just a flow an ocean of consciousness in which things are flowing and you can come out who is this you and where does it come out that's not answered or if there is no being watches the works of time what hard impersonal necessity compels the vain toil of brief living things a great illusion then has built the stars but where then is the soul security its poise in this circling of unreal suns if everything is in illusion how can i be sure that i and my aspiration itself is not an illusion my experience of god is not an illusion my experience of peace and bliss is not an illusion the moment we put this illusionism it has a big problem because if i am experiencing the world as an illusion then in this state of ignorance my aspiration also may well be an illusion my experience of some divinity may well be an illusion or else it is a wanderer from its home and finds no issue from a meaningless world or where begins and ends illusions reign perhaps the soul we feel is only a dream eternal self a fiction sensed in trance i think nowhere in the history of spiritual thought has any question been raised with so much power and this is our question we don't need to 
know, we are all this illusionism, mayavadi is thrust upon us. And well, though something within us can never really accept it, but as an individual, we feel, okay, why I bother my head? This is a solution given to me. Why cosmos came into existence? Why should it trouble me? Let me just find this way and at least for myself be at peace. Now, this is where Savitri steps in. It is a cosmic question that it raises. And for this cosmic question, the answer has to come from a cosmic level. Only a being who has entered not only into the heart of cosmos, but exceeded beyond the cosmic consciousness can really answer this question. And my own um, understanding is that the reason why people couldn't answer this question to the utmost satisfaction of humanity is because they never arrived at that state. Very simple. They could not experience that integral reality and therefore they could they always ended up creating a division between this world and God. So Shurabindu answers this question. Mother speaks about it. Um, she says Savitri, the mantra of transformation, humanity is guide to the future. And one of the aspects of Savitri, she says, the daily record of the experience of the one who wrote it. It's one of the sweetest statements given by mother of the one who wrote it. Who, is, who has written it? Of course, Shurabindu has written it. But who is Shurabindu? Is, is it just a form, a name, born on 15th August 1872, left his body on 5th December 1950? The mother makes it a point to mention the daily record of the experiences of the one who wrote it. So, who is this one who is writing, who is writing Savitri, who is giving an answer to this cosmic question? We read a little bit about that. What was Shirobindo's experience? Who is he? What was the state of consciousness? What is his inner truth? We know externally and we speak about his outer life and um, often, of course, in ways and terms which are ridiculous. But here, who is Shurabindo? His, It's autobiographically, he writes. This is his and the mother's true biography, if one likes. This is just describing one of the states of experience in which Ashupati, who is, we know Shurabindo's own experiences are here, who experiences even in his early steps towards the infinite. These are experiences of Shurabindo, this what we are going to read just now, even before he came to Pondicherry. So the pre-Pondicherry experience, and just this will give us a little glimpse into the vastness of this consciousness from which Savitri has returned back and come to us in this form. The boundless, with the boundless, their consorts. While there, one can be wider than the world. While there, one is one's own infinity. His center was no more in earthly mind. He was not writing anything from here. He neared the still consciousness sustaining all. He abode 
at rest in indivisible time. And then we have these other lines, very, very powerful, and we'll read them. In the struggle and upheaval of the world, he saw the labor of a Godhead's birth. In that state, he sees in the struggle that there is a new world which is being born, a secret knowledge masked as ignorance, fate covered with unseen necessity, the game of chance of an omnipotent will. So this is what Ashwapati discovered, Sri has discovered in that state of consciousness where all time becomes a single body, space, a single book. That is how Sri describes that the future, past and present, everything he sees in a single glance. And then when he goes, he discovers the new meaning and purpose in the world. So Savitri is a revelation. And this revelation, like all revelations, has to be received in a certain way. It is not written by the analytical mind. It is not written for the analytical mind. It is written for the soul to awaken to its own deep purpose. So it is a power which can change us, which can awaken us, which can fill us not only with hope, not just with human hope, but with a divine hope for creation. And filling us with hope, it can enthuse us to move towards that. So this is an answer to that quest of man and we will read again, back and forth, some lines. On, on uh, Ashupati, He dwelt in the wideness of the eternal's reign. His being now exceeded thinkable space. His boundless thought was neighbor to cosmic sight. A universal light was in his eyes. A golden influx flowed through heart and brain. There reached through forms to the hidden absolute, a cosmic feeling and transcendent sight. So all this Ashwapati has seen and experienced and then he gives the answer to man's eternal question. So how are we to receive this vision? Because we dwell in a very small band, a spectrum of consciousness and everything we try to understand and judge from that. Our zone is very, very small and based on that we try to we live in matter and from our material experience we try to imagine a soul. We try to logicize whether there is God or there is not God moving in a very small range. We look at outward event and wonder at the hidden cause of things. Our state is also beautifully described in Savitri absorbed in a routine of daily acts. Our eyes are fixed upon an external scene. We hear only the wheels of the crash of circumstances and wonder at the hidden cause of things. That's all because we are all the time absorbed 
in an outward sight. Whereas Savitri brings not only an inner sight, but an inmost and a wider seeing. And it brings before us. So there is such a big gap between our seeing, understanding and the vision that Savitri brings from the beyond. So how are we to receive it? How are we to understand it? So here in Savitri, that also is given to us. How are we to understand? And it is there in the call to the quest. How to receive the mantra and this is how Savitri is to be received. What is its action? The mother has said at one place that my child read it aloud, read it every day, preferably at a fixed time and Savitri will lead you to the highest realizations of yoga without an outer guru. So she has made it very clear that Savitri itself is capable of leading us to the highest realizations of yoga. The whole path is there. The whole yoga of transformation is there. And she is a guide. At one place she says, whenever you are depressed, if you are feeling depressed and you don't know an answer to any, you are looking for answer to some problem, she says that pick up a little um, like, you know, mark, pencil mark and just put it through the pages and open it and wherever the mark has fell read it and if you really muse upon it it you will see that there is an answer to your problem of course it should not be carried to an extreme i mean some people actually when they are going to board a train whether they have to make a choice between this train and the other train they open savitri i am not joking but you know it's it's now it 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 would be like you know making an absurdity of a great truth but whenever we are besieged with a problem this I have seen, I have seen real life examples of when, you know, people in a state of depression, just read it. It will give that joy, the strength to pull us out of everything, not just hope, not just a knowledge. It gives the power to help us come out. I, I know of a lady who was, uh, whose office was just next to mine. She was a psychologist and a theist, wouldn't believe in God and she had terminal stage of malignancy and she went to um, the ashram for the first time. Though she was a non-believer, her office was next to mine and she would keep coming and every morning before I would start my work, I would read Savitri. So she, she was interested, what is this you read? Whose picture is there? And then she went to the ashram and she suddenly felt that she has come home. She really wept. And after that, she started reading Savitri now. In her terminal stage of malignancy, which she already had, in fact, she was given six months to live. She lived on for over two years. She would read Savitri and actually experience the blue light coming down and entering into her body. She actually foresaw her death. Foresaw it in a strange mystical vision where she saw a clock surrounded by um, those um, purity flowers. And it was a pink clock where the clock was struck. Both the hands were struck at six and she was trying to push it, but it won't push. And she asked me, what is it that I have seen? And I just couldn't tell her that there is six and a half months more to live. You know, it was 
both hands were at six and six months, 14 days, she lived and she left her body with a smile on her face looking towards a picture of Shri, mother and Shirobindo. And she would have just one year, this was the change. And she would see such beautiful experiences and she would narrate to me and tell that, look, I cannot speak about this to anyone because in, in my house, everyone is an atheist. They would think I am going crazy. And while, in fact, she said, I am so happy. I feel that now I have a chance to live again in a new way. So she embraced death with such a beauty and dignity as one seldom sees. Another small little real event, this was in uh, Patiala. It was just posted there. And this long, long back. And every night, uh, whole day we were working in the center, first in my office and then at the Shirobindo center. And we would come back by 9 o'clock and uh, then read Savitri. And, um, you know, we had very, very fascinating experiences. I'll just, you know, this long, long back. One of them was that every day the door would open and somebody would open the chapels and walk and sit and listen. And it was a very benevolent present. This happened day after day. And both myself and my wife both heard. So, uh, thankfully, I, I mean, it was not a hallucination. Uh, so... so and this was a benevolent presence. So many beautiful experiences in that house reading Savitri. I had many, many. But one was a very strange one. One day the landlord, I mean, the landlord was that side. There was a common wall separating our house with the landlords. I mean, we were staying in his house and he was a sick gentleman. Hadn't read much uh, about anything. In fact, um, very simple man. So he came and uh, one day asked, uh, what is it that you people read at 10 o'clock night? <laughs> so, you know, we thought that he is wanting to tell us that, look, I mean, you are disturbing us and, you know, reading aloud. But he's putting it decently. He's, you know, trying to approach the subject in a very simple way. So um, I told him, I'm sorry. I hope we are not disturbing you. And, you know, this is like a sacred book to us. He said, no, no, I just want to see. I'm not disturbed. So he went and saw... Uh, turned the pages here and there and kept it there. He said, you know, since the time you are reading it, my, you know, I hear it and my long-standing sleep, sleep problem is over. My son's asthma has got all right. My wife's bone pains have disappeared. So I somehow am attributing it because it was a thin wall and he was hearing it. <laughs> so I said, thank you so much. Otherwise, you know, now, this is something which is real. I am not uh, advocating it that, you know, anybody has a bone problem should start reading. But I really feel that, yes, do read. Even if you are going and taking medicines, do read. It has a magical healing power in it. But how to read, how to receive it, and what is its action? This is what is described here. Leave aside the context because it applies at all times. As when the mantra sings in yoga's ear. Very interesting. Shobindra is using the word yoga. Yoga is here. So what should be our, our state? Yognist. That is how you know this is revealed to me. That be in a state of yoga. A state where we want to really uh, be in communion with the divine. It's not a casual reading that I am just reading it like any other novel. Yoga is here. A state which is full of yoganistha. Its message enters, it, its message enters stirring the blind brain and keeps in the dim, ignorant cells its sound. The hearer understands a form of words and musing on the index thought it holds, he strives to read it with the laboring 
mind. So the first way is that you know it comes and it enters the blind brain. Suddenly the blind brain feels there is some light. What is that light? And it is striving to read it with the laboring mind. But what happens? But finds bright hints, not the embodied truth. Then, falling silent in himself to know, he meets the deeper listening of his soul. This is what the I think one of the, the first day, I, if I am not mistaken, Shradhalu spoke about Shruti. It is not just hearing with these ears. In fact, these ears seal a lot of things. These eyes are like blind eyes which conceal a lot more. But if we receive it with the inner listening, when the outer listening falls silent, then the inner listening awakens. As long as our outer ears are constantly buzzing with all kinds of noise, the mother says, my child, you are full of noise inside. Often we see, you know, this notice is written, uh, of course, even in the ashram context, that as you are going, switch off your mobiles. So, you know, it's, of course, all right, switch off the mobiles. But thank God, um, if really people who are awakened to an inner light are there, they would hear another kind of sound in that atmosphere, buzzing and humming with all kinds of thoughts. God, do this to me. Why did you do this? Why didn't this happen? My home is on fire. My child is in trouble. All kinds of everything making a sound and hum inside the marketplace of the mind. Our mind is like a marketplace. Mother says it's like a public square. Even while we are going through a very nice Greenville road, which is, you know, for someone coming from the dusty, busy traffic of India, this will look like a paradise. But only so long as we don't get into the inner atmosphere, then very often the whole thing will change. What is this inner atmosphere? The whole atmosphere in the inner world is full of noise, full of cries of all kinds. When that becomes quiet, then a deeper listening awakens within us. The deeper listening of the soul. And then what happens? The word repeats itself in rhythmic strains. Look at the beauty. Normally we are taught, do mala. So we sit and do mala. This is no mala. That's why Kabir Das said, man ka man ka fair ke. You know, what is the point of doing tan ka mala? This is not, this is a distortion of a great truth. What is the man ka mala? When it starts, you can't stop it. When the mantra starts, the word repeats. It has a power in itself. The word repeats itself in rhythmic strains. It gives also the rhythm. Often people ask, what is the exact rhythm of Savitri? We shouldn't worry about it. It will awaken within us. And when it awakens, we will know. We will see the difference when we read it just as a line and when we read it as a rhythm. It has the power in it. Thought Vision, feeling, sense, the body self are seized unalterably and he endures an ecstasy and an immortal change. So, everything within us, this mantra repeats, its power enters into thought, feeling, sense, the very body. We talk about the yoga of transformation, the body's yoga. And, you know, there's so many books written on physical yoga and physical transformation. 
Shobindo has given us a simple means to ascend and walk the path even of the physical transformation. Even the very body self is seized unalterably and he endures. Look at the marvelous words. We have to endure the change. That's why yesterday I was correcting that <laughs> we all, it's not only the speaker here who has to endure, people who are on the other side, they have to also endure because this delight, this ecstasy, this power, this consciousness, our human consciousness not geared to bear it. Elsewhere in Savitri, Shobindo reveals that these high upliftings cannot endure for long. Try meditating for some time. Ah, I am feeling so nice. After a while, ah, is it 9.30? People say, Ashram is such a beautiful place. They come all the way, crossing the seven seas, as they, as they say. And they are waiting. How nice. And they come inside. How beautiful. All mobile switched off. Sometimes turn to silent still. Maybe some important message will come for me as if <laughs> world is running by my mobile. And then they sit. Oh, thank God. Such a big journey. Finally we are here. 10 minutes, 15 minutes, 20 minutes. Starts looking here, there. If nothing else, we become restless. Yorvindu says, our nether members tire of peace. We get tired of this peace. Where is that fellow who quarrels with me day and night? Why did I leave her back in US and come alone? I am missing her. So you know. One calls up after coming out. How are you? Oh, you thought about me. Everything is fine. This is whatever life is. And one feels so happy about it. And Shivabindu says, and feel... And ease in natural pose of fall. We are so happy. That's our natural pose of fall. Our sleep is a pose of fall. Mother says, sleep in light. Rest and relax in light. How difficult it is. Where is light? We know only darkness. And we fall in that state and we feel, ah, finally, at last, a very tiring day. What was the tiring day? We went to ashram, did mother's work. <laughs> what is tiring about it? Such a delight. But that's our pose. So he endures. But when we read it, we have to endure. It will impose itself upon us. And what we have to endure? An ecstasy. And an immortal change. It is strange. Men are afraid of going to God. Mother says at one place, in one of her prayers, to turn towards thee, to live in thee and by thee, is to Escape from time and space is to soar into infinity, to breathe, to soar into eternity, it is to breathe infinity. And then she says, Why do men flee from these boons as if they feared them? What a strange thing is this ignorance that keeps men away from the very thing that will give them happiness and keeps them tied to this ordinary school of mortal existence. Fashioned almost completely with pain and suffering. Here is something which is going to give us delight and for free. We will give dollars and dollars to buy a, you know, ice cream cone to give a momentary pleasure. Here is something which is going to give me delight, freedom, immortality, 
the love that we are seeking outside the wisdom that is hidden in our own heart no this is too much it's worth the effort and this is of course too much for a limited consciousness but savitri this consciousness changes us to make us ready to bear it he feels a wideness and becomes a power look at these lines we feel that wideness which we are seeking in life savitri is we just read where does it come from from a vision where boundless with the boundless there consorts while there one can be wider than the universe there is another line in savitri describing savitri's inner state after she has arrived at nirvana she enters into the cosmic consciousness what does she experience there arcturus and belphegor they are two constellations of stars she is born in a small corner of her boundless self she is in that state of consciousness where these constellations of the cosmos are burning in a little corner like you know these lights so it comes from that state where very fact of reading it will throw us into wideness we don't have to do anything and becomes a power not even saying that he will acquire power he is identified with that power shobindo speaks of five sons of true mystic poetry the son of truth the son of bliss the son of consciousness the son of power the son of power is one of the things it brings that power with it so it's not just knowledge which will we we'll receive but a power all knowledge rushes on him like a sea we don't have to read books we have to just concentrate for a moment it opens so many doors all around that anything we need to know even the most material problems of existence what should be done just quiet and savitri has opened all the doors windows wide and suddenly that knowledge will rush inside like a revelation what a wonderful way carrying a super computer inside all the time of course computer is good for external that kind of thing this is another kind of knowledge and it rushes like a sea transmuted by the white spiritual ray he walks in naked heavens of joy and calm sees the god face and hears transcendent speech so this is the power and magic of savitri waiting for us to receive it's a <laughs> very very big subject i had actually put a lot of marks that i'll read this passage that passage this passage that passage but i see just reading two or three passage it's 10:30 and i don't know if i get into another it will be 11 so let me give a pause here and let's take a couple of questions and based on that questions i will pick out passages from savitri to respond to that i think somebody already had asked a question about the universe how it is uh, built you had asked it. universe yes the what is there in savitri himant yeah uh, we can start from that and then yeah in terms of uh, like when the other day the sadhu said that 
Yes. Yes. So I'll just uh, share, uh, okay, couple of uh, passages. Okay, the question is that Shadhalu spoke about the different strata of consciousness and then there is the cosmic consciousness and how, you know, it is stratified. And Now, I'll speak about how Ashupati, well, Shurabindo, has experienced it, these different layers in one vision and how they relate to the earth, just in a very brief way. And when we just read it, just see what a vision this is. You know, we look at staircases and we look at sea with various waves. Just feel this vision. Ashupati is looking at this world stair, the different levels of consciousness and how he is comprehending them in one single sweep of vision. We talk about this plane, then we go into that plane, some experience. Look at how they appear in a single vision. They are walled apart by its own innerness. In a mystical barrage of dynamic light, he saw a lone, immense, high-curved world pile, erect like a mountain chariot of the gods, motionless under an inscrutable sky, as if from matter's plinth and viewless base, to a top as viewless, a carved sea of worlds, climbing from foam-maned wave to the supreme, ascended towards breaths immeasurable it hoped to soar into the ineffable's reign a hundred levels raised it to the unknown just one small passage what is that vision Ashupati is seeing worlds after worlds like a staircase like waves climbing to the supreme there is an actual story in one of the uh, Indian mythological literature where both uh, Vishnu and Brahma decide, you know, wonder who is greater. So they say, okay, whoever will find the end of the cosmos first. And Shiva, in his eternal sense, establishes himself as a huge pillar. One goes up and the other goes down. They keep going and going and they cannot see the end. Here is a description of that world pile. Further, and disappeared in the hushed conscious vast, as climbs a story temple tower to heaven, built by the aspiring soul of man to live. So, these are steps created in our inner being for us to climb from matter's plinth and base to viewless heights. Its spire touches the apex of the world. It marries the earth to screened eternities. And then look at it again, this beautiful description. It is a brief compendium of the vast. All the infinity that is there, held within the bosom of the unknown, is there in brief. It's like, what is a book, chapter by chapter? The consciousness of the writer is there in the book. This example is often used also to explain the unmanifest and the manifest. The transcendent, the cosmic consciousness. Ramayana, Mahabharata, Bible, or you know, all the great, or even a Shakespeare's, all the dramas, where do they owe their origin? In the consciousness of Shakespeare. Even if all these dramas were never written, 
Shakespeare's consciousness will still be there holding within itself everything. Even if the entire cosmos vanishes, the transcendent will still be there. There is an experience described by Ashupati in Savitri. He saw the universe as a small result of a stupendous force. A small result. What that seeing is, what that vision is, what that vastness is, is summary of the stages of the spirit. So it is like step to step we climb. But in itself it carries the whole. A book is the outcome of a consciousness which is in itself complete. No author thinks like this. Okay, what shall I keep in chapter 1? What shall I know? He broods upon an idea. It's the, the, you know, the creation of a book is very much like the creation of uh, original. He broods upon an idea. It's literally described in the Vedas that the one brooded by his tapas upon a thought, thought with a capital T. He broods upon an idea. Then suddenly that idea after a period of hatching reveals itself, bursts upon itself as a kind of, uh, you know, some kind of a summary where beginning and middle are loosely shown to him. And then in the actual act of writing, chapter, chapter, chapter. So it is a brief compendium of the vast. This was a single stair to being's goal, a summary of the stages of the spirit, its copy of the cosmic hierarchies, refashioned in our secret air of self, a subtle pattern of the universe. Actually, we have two myths very similar in Indian thought and in the biblical story. In the Indian thought, it is said Ravana wanted to build a stairway to heaven, but he didn't succeed. Actually, he was trying to climb through this stairway, but he's not allowed because beyond a point you cannot go unless you are pure enough. In the Bible, there is a story of the Tower of Babel. And because it is being erected, now what Saturn does, he creates confusion in the mind of everyone so that people end up fighting with each other. What one person says, the other doesn't understand. Because if this is erected, if man can ascend through it, then obviously he will be like a god. So it is not allowed. But it is within, below, without, even outside the levels of consciousness, within, it sinks below. We think that we are, no, below us there is their levels of consciousness, above. Acting upon this visible nature scheme, it wakens our earth matters heavy dose to think and feel and to react to joy, it models in us our diviner parts. So because it is within, the higher forces can come down through the staircase, act upon our physical being. Suddenly our mind begins to think beautiful things. And we wonder, why did I start thinking beautiful things? Well, suddenly one god from high above came down and did some chabi, programmed us in a different way, Suddenly on our screen, nice, beautiful things arose. But then, you know, gods are always with hurried feet. They have to do a lot of work. Then he goes. Then that Satan or Titan who is hiding there says, Oh, good, I have a chance with the computer. He goes and changes everything. Like that movie, you know, Three Idiots. He changes something. 
I'm sure all who have seen can relate what I'm trying to say. So he goes and changes things. So the whole speech changes. This exactly, please watch the movie. It's a wonderful movie. <laughs> that apart. So it acts, it, 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 you know, molds us into diviner parts. Makes yearn this life of flesh to intangible aims. Because it's within us. We are here. Time to time, something within turns there. We are not conscious outwardly. Oh, there is a summit to climb. Just like somebody says, you know, there is something like Mount Everest also on earth. Is it? You know, it's breathtaking. Wow. You know, see the picture. Wonderful. I must go. Now, without knowing anything, one has booked the tickets. First base camp, shivering with cold. My God, where this, did this fellow push me to? Breathtaking heights. One doesn't know whether one will even survive or not. But it helps us, it pushes us towards that. It labors towards a superconscient light. If earth were all and this were not in her, thought could not be, nor life's delights response. Only material forms could then be her guests, driven by an inanimate world force. Earth, by this golden superfluity, bore thinking man, and more than man shall bear. So, all evolution is because of an intervention from above. Till date, the scientists do not know why life is born in matter. There is a book, Life Itself, written by the Nobel laureate uh, Francis Crick, Sir Francis Crick. And he was the one who discovered the, you know, the genetic code. And it's amazing. I mean, I have read the book and he tries to do mathematical calculations and he tries to do biological understanding. He says there is no way one can explain how life emerges in matter. So he gave a theory of panspermia. Actually, panspermia is a name given by someone else and he took it up. And he said the only way we can understand is that life came from another planet and embedded itself here. Now, Shobindu says it only pushes the question one step backward. <laughs> How did it come on that planet? So, essentially it came because one, the possibility of life is concealed in it. Second, because there, is, there are higher planes, they press upon earth and compel it to change. So, there is a two-way process. That's why day before yesterday I was saying that the descent of the divine, the incarnation, is central to Shurabindo's yoga and understanding. It's not that somehow supermind evolves by human effort. Someone embodies it and brings it from the beyond and puts it in contact with earth. So the supermind concealed within earth emerges out. That is the whole process. So this is where Shurabindo is describing the whole process of evolution. He has described this in the life divine in a very long chapter, Rebirth and the Order of the Worlds. This process of evolution. Here he is describing in just three or four lines. Earth by this golden superfluity bore thinking man and more than man shall bear. This higher scheme of being is our cause and holds the key to our ascending fate. And then he says how this has come into existence, how this stair was made. It is a sacrifice of the Divine Mother. 
all that was within her. Yesterday, Shadhalu was talking to us about the story of the Sati. Now, Sati's body parts being cut and, you know, all the principles of creation are there. You know, the 54 body parts, so 52 cards and the two jokers. It's very interesting. So, you know, now that is the mystery of the two jokers who can be fitted anywhere. So, it's all the principles, how they came into existence? By the sacrifice of the world mother. She sacrificed herself. So, looked at from one point, the story of the sati jumping into fire. By that sacrifice, she splitting herself into many, many parts and creating the whole principles of creation. Our life is a holocaust of the supreme. The great world mother by her sacrifice has made her soul the body of her state. Accepting sorrow and unconsciousness, divinities lapse from its own splendors wove, the many patterned ground of all we are. Shiva, in grief, one would wonder, is he not a god? He is weeping like an ordinary mortal. Look at the significance. Accepting unconsciousness. A lapse of divinity. He wove this earthly state. A lot of stories coming to my mind. I am resisting them. <laughs> Our earth is a fragment and a residue. Her power is packed with the stuff of greater worlds. In each grain of sand, there are many, many worlds concealed inside. And Finally, a mysterious process is the universe. How this universe, after describing all this, is saying, at first was laid a strange anomalous base. Today we talk about the anomaly between the quantum world and the physical world. Newtonian laws are true or quantum laws is true or there is chaos or there is law, there is order, we don't know. Shobindu is writing way back, a strange anomalous base. And elsewhere he says, all reeled back, you know, into the quantum world. Elsewhere he speaks of that. A void, a cipher of some secret hole, where zero held infinity in its sum. And all and nothing were a single term. Zero and infinity, how it plays with each other. This is divine mathematics. That nothingness... Holds everything in itself. Like a magic box, it's emerging. One says that what is there at the base of this world, beyond this world, we hear philosophy, there is nothing. So the big question is, which science is grappling with, you know, that's why to a certain scientific mind, Buddhism appeals because, you know, it's theory of nothingness. But the big question that science is not able to answer, there was a beautiful book I read, The End of Science. It says, why there is something instead of nothing in this universe? Out of nothing, only nothing can come out. So, Shravinda is uh, revealing to us, a void, a cipher of some secret hole, where zero held infinity in its sum. And all and nothing were a single term. And then he speaks of this, you know, the divine, that infinity packs itself. And how it comes out, the big bang. A slow reversals movement then took place. A gas belched out from some invisible fire. Tremendous energy. That's how Narlikar, uh, that whole Narlikar theory, that it was packed with energy. 
and suddenly it burst into rings and rings. A gas belched out from some invisible fire. Of its dense rings were formed these million stars. Upon earth's newborn soil, God's tread was heard. And the last five lines. What happened in the process of this creation? A miracle of the absolute was born. What is this miracle? We talk about miracle. What is the greatest miracle? The greatest miracle is that the infinite becomes finite. And nobody knows about this miracle. The tree shuts itself into a seed. It's a great miracle how this happens. A miracle of the absolute was born. Infinity put on a finite soul. All ocean lived within a wandering A time-made body housed the illimitable. One place Shirobinda says, Fear not. This is a beautiful meditation. If you want to read it, sometime we can read it from in Shirobindo's writings on Ishavash Upanishad. If I am not mistaken, in the old volumes, SABCL, it is volume 12, page 475. I think so. Where the guru tells to the sun, uh, student, lift your eyes towards the sun and you will see the stars drifting like watchfires in the night. Who set them there? He who, who, who is more ancient than the root of your hills. Because of his fear, these stars move in the orbits. And then he says, no, he is nearer to you. Look around you, that old man walking on the road, that little child laughing. Do you not see God in him? And then he says, No, he is still near. He is in you. He is you. And then he ends up it very beautifully. Oh, child of the ancient yoga, fear not, grieve not, for in your apparent body dwells the one whose breath can create and destroy universes in a single breath. That is the illimitable who dwells within us. A time-made body housed the illimitable. To live this mystery out, our souls came here. What a grand scheme. Ah, we, I, I mean, <laughs> we could just go on for 10 hours and we would not finish. Maybe sometime we should just have a camp on Savitri. Then, you know, we'll probably touch it. Well, we should have just on Savitri. Because, you know, you feel there is so much which one is resisting and is unable to share because of the constraint of time. Because something wonderful. So we'll stop now because we have really far exceeded.